Radio St. George at 100.3 FM. It's now time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And now your host for tips, Dr. Bob Oxley. Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley here. Time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And uh, welcome back. Uh, this week, we're, the topic's going to be immigration. And uh, we're going to take a look at the issue of the crisis that's going on out down there in the uh, border between Mexico and the United States and the immigration of person people are coming from Central and South America to us. And yeah, I'm very fortunate. Uh, today we have a special guest. It's uh, Sidney Bakimo, who is a representative here in St. George for the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. And uh, welcome, Sidney. Hi, Dr. Oxley. Glad <laughs> I, to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, there's a lot going on. I know that uh, it's not hitting front page like it used to, immigration. Uh, but uh, my understanding is the ACLU has been very, very active in trying to uh, address some of the issues uh, on immigration. And uh, we're just happy to have you here. Yeah, okay. I'm glad to talk about it. And in talking about the fact that it's not hitting the front pages anymore as, as, as it was over the last couple of years, um, it's still, it doesn't mean it's not happening. And actually, one of the things I keep hearing from people around me, they say, oh, is that still going on? And I'm going to say, yes, it is absolutely still going on. We are still fighting the good fight. Um, people are still being separated from their families. It is a big deal what's going on with immigration. Yeah. And that's why you're here, because I... Uh, I've, I've been doing reading, the background reading in the page 10 or 11 on the newspapers and online, and uh, I needed an expert, and that's why I'm so thankful you're here today <laughs> to give us an update. And, and uh, I really, uh, we always do here on tips, uh, it doesn't matter what the topic is or the issue that we're uh, identifying, we always start off with the basics, uh, definitions, uh, what the meanings are to help out our listeners and those that are watching here on uh, Facebook and and YouTube. So can you kind of like walk us through some of the key terms that when we say just that's that umbrella immigration, what does that really mean? So that we are aware of some of the uh, distinctions uh, by the terms that are being used. Yeah, I would, I'd love to do that because we get a lot of the terms mixed up. And um, even, even myself, sometimes I, I would, for a long time there, I was getting them mixed up. And luckily working with the ACLU, I'm surrounded by these brilliant attorneys that were there to clarify things for me. And so I'm happy to do that for you. Um, a few things to take a look at when we talk about like a migrant migrant is that's about as basic, basic as it comes somebody that is traveling from one place to another to, to live there for for whatever reason and so very basic stuff you know I might migrate from Salt Lake to St. George it's very that's that's about as basic as it goes but the reason that one migrates can really define define the situation and define the rights that they might have and um, so a few things to to take a look at refugee so it's someone that's been forced to flee because of persecution war violence they feel unsafe um, it, for, and it, for different reasons race religion nationality um, um, gender sexuality those kinds of things would fall under that um, so we have the refugee and those are people that like if we if you ever meet someone here in Salt Lake or in St. George Utah um, in the States here, that's a refugee. What happened is they were in some other country and they were displaced out of their, their home of origin. And they became, they met that criteria to become a refugee. A lot of times got placed into a refugee camp of some sort. And then there's a particular, a particular lottery to get there. They have to kind of, yeah, pretty much win the lottery to get, uh, the chance to come to our country. Wow. So, and 
that number of the amount of refugees that we allow coming in has dropped dramatically. We are about to have our lowest number in 2020 that we've ever seen since the refugee program has started. And we're about, we'll let 18,000 people and that, that's it. And that's going from millions, millions of people in the 90s and the 80s. And now we're down to 18,000. Over 2000, in 2019, we, were, we allowed 30,000. And still, that was wow. nothing compared to what the rest of the world is doing to help out with the refugees. And um, so that's a refugee. We also have an asylum seeker. So an asylum seeker is a, pretty much what you're seeing at the border and is very similar. It's someone that's seeking refuge that's, that a lot of those same criteria have to be met, um, but, but they, haven't, they haven't been vetted yet. They haven't, they haven't shown us that they can meet those criteria. So they show up at the border. You, if you're seeking asylum, that's a right put in place by the U.N. Um, back in 19, 1958, 1961, we had these laws come into place um, as a result of World, World War II. Um, so we'll have an asylum seeker. All they have to do is present themselves at the border and, and say that they're seeking help for this. And we have a responsibility to meet that need and to, to give them due process, which is really important. Um, once, they, once they get accepted, they are then called an asylee. Once, if, if the say if, that to me again, What's an asylee. So okay. a lot like asylum, but take off the um, throw on a couple of e's at the end. Asylee. Okay. okay. Um, so this is a person that's been that's got that that's had their due process and that has been approved and is coming to the country. Now, an asylum seeker or an asylee and a refugee that come into this country, they there are steps for them to take to be able to get a green card, become a permanent resident, and then to um, so a green card and permanent resident. Those are the same, and then. They can then take steps to become a um, become a citizen. So there are paths for them. Um, it allows them to work, or even under that status of asylee and refugee, they're able to work and really integrate into the community, be a part of it. Um, and then we also have what's called undocumented. Um, this is a big topic in our country right now, and the majority of people that are in our country as undocumented people, um, they came in on a visa. They, they came in, they flew in, a lot of them, they flew in, they okay. were met at the borders, they came, they, um, they had a visa, they were documented, came in, we welcomed them, and then for some reason they, they fall out of status. Um, their visa expires, usually, is, is kind of how it goes, and then they just stay. And so that's what we find with the undocumented, usually. Sometimes it's somebody that is able to get past one of those checkpoints um, without any documentation. But the majority of those come across or come through the country, through border points, uh, through the airport with a visa of some sort. Um, we then have what's called a dreamer. I know I'm going fast, and I no, know there's a lot of terms. Great. That's great. But then we have what we – so we have a dreamer, and that's a young, undocumented immigrant. Is that DACA? Well, so Dreamer and Doc are very, they're similar. Okay. So, so back in 2001, they, um, it was a bill that, that was presented, the DREAM Act. And it was, to acknowledge, it was to acknowledge and address the issue of undocumented children coming into this country. You know, I don't know about you, but no three-year-old or five-year-old has, has a say. I don't know, you know, in your house, maybe they do. No. But, but as far as bring, where we move or bring them across the country, they don't have a say. And so they come in, they, they're in this country, and a lot of them don't even realize they're undocumented until they go to college. Because their parents aren't going to, you're not going to tell an elementary age child that they're undocumented. Because, well, elementary age students like, or children like to talk about things so they don't know until they go to college or they try to get a job or for some reason they need a social security number and mom where's my social security number sorry hun 
you don't have Let one. Let me ask you a question. So just so I'm clear, dreamer is, those are children that come across the water with their parents, correct? And then as they grow, they you're talking, give an example, going to college or a social security number. Those are people that actually came across with their parents. Yeah, okay. coming across is, is a, a okay way to say it, but it's it's just an undocumented person that's a minor okay. or that, that became undocumented as a minor really is how okay. it comes down to be. Um, so we needed to address that because they are, they grew up in America. They, they speak English. They don't know any other place. So a dreamer is a person that, that we want to give the, the, that comes from this idea of giving them the, um, like the American dream. But the DREAM Act, it's actually an acronym. It's a Development Relief and Education for Alien Minors. Wow. Yeah. So that's what all that is. Okay. Now, it didn't pass. And it, they tried and they tried and they tried. And I know lots of people that put in a lot of work for years to try and get that to pass, to give these these people an avenue to be able to work or go to school or just live that American dream. So when it didn't pass, that's when we got DACA. DACA, which is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, okay. was, a, was something that Obama did in 2012. This was an executive order. He put this in place so that to just give some kind of idea, it is not a path to citizenship. It, does, it is not an end all and be all. It's just, it's deferred action is what it's saying. Meaning, hey, pump the brakes, wait until the, we figure out a plan. But this is something that has to be renewed every two years. And all it really gives to these dreamers is the opportunity to work. They can't leave the country. They, they, there's so many things that can't happen. Um, right now, ACLU is, is, is working to help. Um, we've kind of had to say the, the bar is talking about here in Utah, allowing DACA recipients to um, pass the bar and become attorneys. So there's a lot of restrictions, but you know, also a lot of hope. So we can go somewhere with that. Wow. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to uh, Sydney McKimo from the ACLU here on TIPS, and we're investigating immigration. And thank you very much for that overview, some key terms. <laughs> a lot of stuff. It really huh? helped. There's a lot of stuff, but it really helps out because yeah. when we go on now with our discussion here, it's going to make a lot more sense. Um, I'd like to take it to the next level now. We're, we've got through those, those wonderful uh, definitions. We've got an idea of what they mean. But now let's take a look at the crisis itself. Um, there's a major concern uh, with the current administration that there's uh, – an overwhelming amount of people coming from Central and South America through Mexico, attempting to cross our borders because we are the the American dream. They, they've read about us. They, they want to be part of that. And for the number of reasons that you've identified, uh, maybe there's no hope for them in their home country or there's a threat of a life and death situation or human trafficking and all those issues. Um, but I'm hearing all sorts of stories about biggest concern of thousands and thousands of immigrants are coming across the border illegally and they're going to take over our, our, our country and our culture is going to disappear. So I, I'm going to turn it to you because the ACLU has a lot of great numbers. You're, you've been involved in that investigation. So you're my expert here. And there's a lot of listeners that they, I, I just want, give me the real numbers. Give me the real factual numbers. When we're talking about a crisis here, let's go back maybe just a couple of years, what kind of numbers we're seeing, we're seeing on, on, on the news, uh, huge thousands of people heading north. Um, the can, caravans, the right? The caravans. Oh, the and, caravans. I mean, can, you, can you kind of enlighten us a little bit as to, uh, is this for real? And why all of a sudden are we seeing these 
thousands and thousands of people in caravans heading north at this time. So migrating across the southern border between the U.S. and Mexico has been happening ever since we decided this big chunk of land over here was going to be ours. Ever since that happened, yeah, there's a lot of migration that happens and goes back and forth both ways. Um, and especially as the turmoil happens around the world, we'll see migration happening a little bit more. And that's when we see a lot more refugees and asylum seekers. Um, but it's a, it's a global thing that happens because of uh, political unrest or um, economical downfa downfalls in their country that might lead to unsafe conditions. Um, a lot, sometimes it's it's an act of God to say, like, you know, like um, um, some weather thing that happened, maybe famine, those kinds of things. Either way, people are constantly coming and going and crossing borders around the world. Um, but to say that right now what's going on at the border, the the big scare, the migrants the, or the migrant caravans, they say, Let's take a look at some of the numbers okay, of people please. coming in. So uh, that's what I now, need. for those of you that that aren't lucky enough to be watching this on Facebook, poor dogs, um, <laughs> we I, you'll, I've got a bunch of papers here in front of me because these numbers, there's just so much to remember. And I wanted to make sure that what I was giving you was factual. So uh, the Department of, of Homeland Security claimed that um, so that there was saying upcoming they were expecting there was going to be 700 750,000 to 900,000 people crossing at the border. Um, what actually really crossed here in 2019 was 650,000. Um, that's the numbers that we do have um, based on people that were caught at the borders and things like that. But what you, the thing is, between 2000 and 2007, uh, often a million plus were crossing at the borders. So, so even by saying, being like, oh my gosh, 750 or fudging the numbers all the way up to, to 900,000 and saying, hey, it's worse than it's ever been, we're not even matching. We're not even getting close to, to what it's been in the last couple decades, let alone the worst it's ever been. Like, that's taking it a little far. Also, 61% of the families or 61% of those coming to the border yes. are families and un unaccompanied minors. And though that number, the number of youth and, and minors that are coming to the border, that's raising. That number is getting higher and higher each day. That statistic is 61% is okay, growing that's and growing. What, that's what we're hearing. Okay, yeah. that, that uh, originally it was uh, mostly males coming forward, and then they would get a job here and then uh, eventually get their families to move across the line and come into our country. Mm -hmm. But now what you're telling me based on the numbers that families are one of the are the dominant uh, mix yeah. as far as those coming across. That's wow. the majority of what we're okay. seeing. And and, um, you know, you have to ask yourself and I, we hear this a lot in the media, depending on who you listen to or what's going on. But what causes what causes a family to pick up their young children and flee a country? I just heard a poem the other day it was beautiful. Well, very sad to hear, but it was. It talks about you don't run, you don't flee your home unless your home is the mouth of a shark, and that's what we're seeing a lot of. So, um, on top of that, what? So, the, speaking of people coming to the borders, now the question is, what to do? Like, what do we do with all these people coming at the borders? Um, so the, the, the stance that we've taken as a country is to kind of militarize and to, to try and deal with it on that front um, by putting people putting people in, in prisons and institutions, which um, is it's kind of a hallmark of the U.S. at this point, at this point where we do like to, we have a tendency to lock people up and institutionalize them. We see that um, 
we see that we have the highest rate of incarceration here in this country. And I've, I'm seeing that that's what we're doing at the border as well. So we're taking families and, and putting them in these facilities. And don't get me wrong. I mean, this is not something that happened over the last couple of years. This is something that we've been doing for a while. We've had these institutions where we've been taking families and putting them in there. Um, however, it is kind of a new thing over the last um, the last few years where we separate families, where we are taking young children, toddlers, infants, and separating them from their parents. Um, and that is something that ACLU stepped up and, and fought. And the the courts were, they found in, our fa- in favor of that and said that you can't do that anymore. But that doesn't mean it stopped. Yeah. And, and the, the family, the amount of families coming across the, correct me if I'm wrong, the facilities like you indicated were were actually made for males coming across, and like you say, the uh, the old uh, prison incarceration type facilities with chain with fences and things of that sort. So they're not really built for for families coming across the border. Well, a lot of these facilities aren't even built for, I mean, long term stays at all. We're dealing with, I mean, a lot of us have seen the pictures and the videos of these young children, these families or whatever, with those mylar blankets. They look like aluminum foil. Yes. And so they don't have access. The the facilities aren't really designed to hold people long term. You're supposed to go in there. It's it's about 48 hours is where it's supposed to be. And then we're supposed to have a plan to get them somewhere else. But at the rate we're, we're taking them in and we're not really able to. There's a huge backlog in how to deal with what's going on with immigration in general. That's that's on the border. That's in the interior. Um, there there is up to there's a three year backlog. Three years. Wow. I mean, get yourself picked up and say, you know what? All right, we'll see you in 2022. It's it's not okay. That's uh, that's a think about your life. Yeah. You've just picked up. You've left your home country. You're trying to get into a new country and start your life over. And you don't know if you're going to be allowed to stay. And by the way, s- stick around for three years. And I don't know what you're going to do in the interim, yeah. but that, that's kind of terrible. Uh, this is Sydney uh, Makimo from ACLU here on Tips, and uh, uh, we're just moving forward on this. It's uh, it's an amazing situation. Um, the total number uh, that you see, you you mentioned uh, eight hundred thousand, was it, or what was the total number for twenty? And twenty. When you say twenty nineteen, that's the end of the. The uh, federal fiscal year. Fiscal year. So that that ends on September 30th. Correct. Okay. So uh, what was the total number that you had for that? Um, 650,000 border crossers. Okay. And of the 650,000 border crossers, uh, what percentage were were they made up of families? 61%. So those facilities that we just talked about that are like cells uh, that are only made for short-term stays, uh, those are people are staying there for a longer period of time. Whole families are staying there for yeah. a longer period of time, and that's just not acceptable. Yeah, that, that's the thing is we're seeing a lot of we're seeing that we're not we don't have the infrastructure to maintain what we're doing there, and we're trying to. So one of the things that we're doing to stop this overflow is we're saying um, we shut down the the ports. We're like, okay, hey, nobody's getting in. You can't let them in. Um, and by doing that, it's that's when you see we started seeing so many people sleeping on the streets, out in the dirt, under overpasses. I mean, we've seen a lot of this stuff in the media. That's why. is because people can't get through. 
And so instead of coming to the ports, what they'll do is they'll try to go in between the ports and they'll try to cross there. And um, what, what, now what we've done, we've, there's, a new, there's a new rule saying that they, the Trump administration put out saying that they cannot cross anywhere. They have to come in through the port. So if they don't come through the port, then we won't accept your, won't, uh, accept your petition for asylum. Um, then they're saying, now they're saying, okay, well, um, if you don't come in the ports, we shut that down. And now we're even saying, hey, if you're not from Mexico, we won't. Meaning what that's saying is, is if you're in any other, whatever country you have to pass through first to get to us, that's where you should make your claim. So that's so, a, that's a new rule that they're putting out. So that's, that rule, that, that that's why, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that's why that there's like 20,000 Mexican troops on the southern border of Mexico to help implement this law, this new policy that's agreement between the United States and Mexico so that they start to screen these individuals on the south end of Mexico before they even get close to the north end and the U.S. border. And one of the problems with that is we're talking about countries that aren't that aren't prepared for this kind of thing either. Um, so if we just uh, like flip a switch and we say, nope, you have to go through this country now, you have to do this now, it doesn't give in, it doesn't give people time to kind of prepare for that. Um, we're talking about people that have maybe already crossed through Mexico or that have, that have come a really far away. But even then, let's talk about the infrastructure of Mexico being able to maintain that. Right now, they don't have that. Whereas we do, we've we've put things in place to we we have people here in in Utah that are waiting for asylum seekers, waiting for refugees, waiting for them, and we're just not giving them. We're not giving it to them. So the bottleneck really isn't where the bottleneck is, is in our court systems. There's the the judges and getting people through that, taking away that three-year waiting period and putting more judges on. So what we're seeing, instead of putting money into getting more judges on the bench and, and dealing with that, what we're doing instead is by like I said, militarizing it. We're taking money, attention, and time and putting it into uh, border, border Patrol agents, and we're funding. That's where our funding is going. So uh, back to some of the numbers, because I know that's what you like. Um, yes. So think of it. So in 2000, we had 9,212 Border Patrol agents. In 2006, we had 12,349. And to make that something that you can kind of easily understand is that that means they that each agent is responsible for 81 to 173 apprehensions a year now what we've done is we've amplified we've we've um we've almost doubled what we have in border patrol agents um since 2000 they are it is now 19,555 they are responsible for 32 apprehensions a year so based on the based on how many people are actually coming how many border patrol agents we have we went from having they're responsible for around 100 to now 32. Got it. Also, with our we've also more than doubled their budget. So in 2006, it was 7.1 billion. In in 2019, it's 16 16.69 billion dollars is what wow. we're putting into it. And and uh, what we said earlier, what you indicated previously, was that the amount of people, there's not a huge increase. In fact, it's less than what we looked at in 2000, 2010, it was at a million. We're looking at 800,000, 600,000. Yeah. But we're getting the we're getting the news reports indicating mass caravans coming forth, like there's this huge migration. 
when actually it's less than what it was previously. It is. It is. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, this is Sydney McKemo from the ACLU that's giving us a lot of, uh, I love data, so <laughs> uh, giving us a lot of great numbers and uh, good information concerning immigration. Um, uh, what I'd like to do, uh, we're getting ready to take a break here. Uh, when we get back, I'd like to continue on with this discussion and uh, take a look at some of the more specifics of this immigration crisis that they've that we've currently have and and I'm glad you brought up about the global because Syria going across the Mediterranean so this migration is not just a, a South America Central America US problem it's it's global and people are just trying to survive and and uh, move forward with their lives. Yeah, so. there's a refugee problem globally right now. Yeah, so. yeah we'll take a look at this. This is Sydney McKimo from the ACLU, and uh, we're going to take a short break here, but, but we, we, we'll, we will be right back, if I can <laughs> say it right. Uh, we'll be right back, and uh, don't go away, because there's a lot more information uh, concerning immigration and the crisis that we're uh, uh, taking a look at here between Mexico and the United States on that border. We'll be right back. Here we go. This is the, this. Uh, I would really like to talk. We talked about the facilities, how they're not made for families. We've got young children being separated from their parents, uh, and uh, it's. It, it, the, the, I just. I think that the damage that's being done as a result of this. Uh, can uh, Can you give us an update? Because that was hot for about a year, a year ago, and now that's kind of like gone to page 10 or 11 in the newscast and are not mentioned at all. And uh, my question is, do you have any, I hope you do, any data concerning these, these young children that are being separated and are they get, still being separated from their parents? And uh, there's, a, there's a lot to this whole issue. So let me just turn it over to you. And just, I really want to find out what's happened. Is, has it stopped? Are they, and, and if it hasn't stopped, how bad is it? And just give me a, a, your, your assessment of this. So when the, you know, once we became aware of these, these family separations and what was happening, uh, the ACLU stepped in and took it to court and we, we sued the Trump administration. We said, yeah, this has got to stop. And, um, and the courts agreed that that had to stop. Um, and one of the things we sued for is to say that, that the government not, not only had to stop doing that, but then had to reunite these children with their parents. And one of the things that came out was that they didn't know how. They didn't know how to reunite the children with the parents because they weren't actually tracking oh, who, how this, you know, they didn't track who was yeah. separated from whom. And so there wasn't really, there wasn't an avenue to do that. As a matter of fact, the courts then said to us, the ACLU, that, hey, you need to help with that. We're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know, I teach my kids that you make a mess, you clean it up. And every once in a while, I'll step in and help them. But that, that was a little bit beyond our purview. And so it really got messy there because people didn't know how to reunite these children with their parents. Um, recently, we, a report came out because we said they needed to let us know, okay, well, how many were separated from their parents? And we had, we had an original number and we had a new number that just came out. It now, the, it's 1,500 more families had been separated then we real, realize that's 1,500 wow. more families. I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they originally admit to just separating 1,000 children from their parents? Wasn't that the original number, something around 1,000? So we're in like the 4,000 ball game. That's kind of where we were, oh. 4,000. 
that's a lot. And so we are now the the actual count um, at, from July 2017 to current to where yes. we are now yes. was is 5,460 families have been affected this way. You mean to tell me there's 5,462 or whatever it was that that's the amount of children that have been separated from their parents. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. And so, I mean, and then we have a breakdown of the numbers here. So um, 207 were under the age of five. So that's five, five were under one years old. 26 were one year old. Uh, we had 40 that were two years old. Oh my gosh. 76 of them were three years old and 60 of them were four years old. Separated from their parents. Separated from their parents. Now, that in itself is tr very traumatic for children. Um, but then let's talk about, you know, putting them in institutions like this. And we've, we've seen grown adults become institutionalized and be impacted by being in, in kind of like in prison. And we're now doing that to children. That's what we're doing. We're and, doing it to three and four and five-year-olds mm -hmm. and one-year-olds. Yeah. I mean. That very, that extremely important time that they need to be bonding with their parents, bonding with people in general. Yes. They're now being, well, treated like prisoners. And on, and so, and then on top of that, um, um, so we did come through and we said, hey, this has got to stop. And the courts agreed with us and the court said, hey, reunite them, start putting them back together, find their parents, help with that. Um, but what's actually happening is they're still being separated. They're just doing it a different way. Oh, how are they doing it? So for different reasons, such they might say, you know what? You have a, you have a criminal background, cr criminal history in the country you came from. You can't be with your kids. They might say, um, you're affiliated with a gang. You can't be with your kids. Now, gang affiliations is this really, I mean, it's this loose kind of term that is used in ways that is, it's, it's unconstitutional. Anyhow, but we're just applying that to someone who would randomly throw out, oh, you have a gang affiliation, meaning it could be anywhere from your second cousin was, we, it was a known gang member, so you have a gang affiliation, so now you, you're, you're losing your kid. Or medical conditions. They might say, hey, you know what? You have HIV. We're separating you from your kids. And they say that it's to keep the children safe. So the family separation is still happening at the border. I didn't know that. Just under different terms. But it's still happening. It's just... We're not getting any information except for the ACLU with this new report. Now it's over 5,400 yeah. children have been. We are keeping an eye on it. We are watching it. We are fighting it. We are putting in that good fight. Um, it, it's, it's, it's important for everybody to do that. So, yes, we are fighting it in court. And some of the other things we do is, is talks like this, going into going and meeting with groups to educate them. We, people need to understand this is still going on because if this gets swept under the rug, who's going to stop it? Yeah, that's what that's why we started the show. Yeah. I mean, the, the the immigration crisis is is, is the back seat now, and now this here I, I thought, as a result of uh, the rulings by the judges previously, that the separations had ceased. And what you're telling me is that's not the case. Children are still being separated from their parents. Yes. And and I'm just thinking about some of the ramifications here. They don't speak the English language. They don't know what's right from wrong. They're being told and they're away from their mothers and their fathers. And they're with a bunch of other children. I mean, do you, from a psychological standpoint, we always, we found out through research that the first seven years of, a, of your life is the most influential and important for your development. And if we're talking about separating these children from their parents, can you imagine the trauma that they're going through 
You know, um, I was thinking about it just this morning. I, I think about this a lot and about this, what's happening and, and the effects it's going to have on our future. Um, you know, we tell, we tell our children, we tell the people, the youth that are coming up to be mindful of their actions and how it's going to affect the future, their future lives and, and their prospects and things like that. And, you know, I was thinking about the future prospects of these children, these children that just like my kids, they deserve hope. They deserve a future. They now what they're facing instead is severe trauma and PTSD. And I take a look in the future ahead of us and I'm afraid for them. I'm afraid of the lives that they'll have available to them. Um, even, even just simply because not because of how much money they have or, uh, yeah, so their socioeconomic status, their education, but simply their own mental, their mental well-being and being able to interact with other human beings because of, because of what's going on. And honestly, I don't think we know. We as a society don't really know what's going to happen because we haven't been doing this. This is, this is kind of new. We haven't seen kids of, and on this scale being separated from their parents for the, like this. And uh, what they're, what they're, another thing I'm worried about is um, being away from their mothers and their fathers and being isolated in these facilities. My understanding is that really it's not the U.S. government. The U.S. government is actually contracting facilities, these companies, to take care of the babies, to take care of the one, the, the new, newborns and the one and two-year-olds. And then other facilities is getting, getting the three and four and five and six-year-olds. And the massive amounts of these kids, there's, there's no affection per se. There's no hugging. There's no kissing. There's the language barriers. Um, they're scared to death. Okay, um, has the ACLU looked into these contracts? Who's who's monitoring these guys? Who's monitoring these these people that have these contracts to make sure that there's no child abuse taking place? And you know that's a, that's a really good question. And when it comes to all of this stuff along the border, there is so much information going around, and there's so much being missed, so much to be understood that it's hard to answer some of these questions. But when we look at what's going on with these institutions, it's very similar to what we do as a country, how I related it earlier to um, our incarceration rate and how we as a country have a tendency to just incarcerate people. And that's kind of our way to we solve our problems. And um, that's what we're doing here. Now, just like what we do in so many states across the country where these are their privately owned institutions, meaning that people are actually making money off of caging human beings. That's disgusting. And now we're not just, they're not just making money off of caging adults that have, that we can say, Oh, well, at least we could justify it. They committed some kind of crime. We have no justification for this. These are children for crying out loud. And when we say, well, you know, their parents should have known better. Their parents should have known better. Never have I ever seen it okay to abuse a child and say, well, their, their parent broke the law. Yeah, good point, good point. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sydney McKimo from the ACLU. She's bringing up some fantastic uh, points uh, on this issue of immigration crisis. And we're, we're really examining the children, the separation of the children from their parents. And I had no idea the numbers had uh, exceeded now over 5,000 children. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, that the ACLU, after they challenged the uh, government as to separating these children, you mentioned that 
the government, after the judges made a decision in favor of the ACLU, to come back and they said, well, you, can you help us? That's an amazing, amazing thing that the person that uh, has sued you, you can come back and you say, would you help us? Yeah. And, and, and from what I understand that the ACLU, because of your conscience, actually attempted to get some volunteers to help try to reunite these children with their parents. And unfortunately, some of the parents who had already been deported and left these children all over, and people have this misnomer that these children are all along the uh, Mexican and uh, U.S. border. It's not. They can. They're these facilities. These for these babies are all over the country. Yeah, they're they're all over. I mean, New York, Colorado. They're they're just all over the place. And um, so, a lot of these parents, even if they stayed in the country, they they didn't know where their kids were being sent, or they were, a lot of times the courts were telling them that you need to leave the country. If you leave the country, or I'm sorry, the agents were telling them, the border patrol agents were telling them that if you leave the country, you have a better chance of getting your kid. So then these parents left because they thought that's the only way to get their kids back. But then we have no way to find them in their countries. And in some lucky cases, people have been able to find these parents, but in a lot of cases, they haven't. Um, That number of uh, 5,460 that of those that have been separated, there are still 3,000 that remain separated. Wow. So, but I mean, we're making headway that tells us that there's, you know, like half of them almost are reunited, but so many of them are kind of just hanging out there. A lot of them are being adopted, being adopted into our country. And, and I mean, you what you think, well, okay, they're getting a home, but even then, so they're, their immigrant parent has been there and has fought them in court. There's been cases where and the immigrant parent loses because the the American, the citizen is able to ch- prove that, well, I can provide them with a better, fa- better home life and they, they claim abuse on the other end. So this is going, I mean, there's so many webs of this where it's just, it's really disturbing to the levels that, w- that we've gone. It's amazing. It's absolutely, this whole thing is just a, it wasn't thought through. No. Total chaos. There's no tracking. You've got separated children virtually all over our country Mm -hmm. at facilities that we really don't understand what the benefits they're receiving or lack of benefits these children are receiving, which is really a travesty. And when it comes to the the oversight and what's happening there, I... uh, You know, a lot of people have gone through and seen the facilities and, and you hear the horror stories and... I haven't seen it myself personally, and to be honest, I don't know if that's something that would that I'd be able to handle. I do know that the executive director of the ACLU, um, the ACLU of Utah, she has been there. She's seen them herself. It is it is horrible. So many people are going through and saying bad things are happening. What are we as a nation going to do to step up and address that? Yes, yeah, I, that's that's the next step, yeah. right? But the th- the, th- the thing is that in today's world, we're all so busy mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, involved in so many things that I think we have a, uh, a way of listening to a story and we say, well, that's too bad or that shouldn't happen. But then a new story shows up the next morning and three days later, you forgot about the original story because we're so busy and, and it's not happening to me or to my family. So that's too bad that's happening. It's kind of like that attitude. It's kind of it's even more difficult to get people into a social action to get, even though because I thought for sure with when the actual, the actual uh, photos and videos came out showing the separations taking place, 
and the children screaming for their parents not to be pulled apart, and, and then to take them and send them to some other place in a foreign country as the United States, and and, the, and we're talking about three-year-olds and two-year-olds and babies and 12-year-olds, and it doesn't, I mean, it's just absolutely, and now you gave me this number that um, I, I'm, quite, I'm being quite candid with you, Sydney Vakimo, uh, that I'm, I can't believe that over 5,400 children have been separated yeah. from their parents, and the United States government's behind that. Yeah. That's a very sad, very sad situation. Um, the lawsuits by the ACLU, where, where, where are we with those? I know it's ongoing, you guys, <laughs> you guys never, you never relinquish on this because this is one of your hot buttons. You know, I laugh because where are we with all of those? <laughs> like you there's so constantly many. so many going on. And if, if maybe we're not suing in some cases, but we'll partner up or we'll send in an, um, an amicus and re we'll write it, really what that is, we write something up in support of something, you know, we, we say, hey, we support this lawsuit, they're filing, this is why. And so in many ways, we are engaged in working um, to help stop this on on the legal front. We'll take it to, to the courts. Now, one of the great things about this country is, yeah, we do have three branches of government, you know, so we can fight things. So we just for all y'all that that may have forgotten, We've got the legislative branch, we've got the judicial branch, we've got the executive branch. So if something comes across from, so we've got, uh, we get an executive, an executive order that says, hey, this is going to happen. We can fight that and we take it to the judicial branch. And so we spend a lot of our time fighting things in the judicial branch with lawsuits and all of that. We also have, uh, we do fight it with, um, we, we work on lobbying. We work towards, we'll, um, we'll help to kind of support bills and things that might stop this kind of thing or um, do things on that front. So when you say all the lawsuits, it's like, well, where do I start with how the lawsuits are going? Sometimes it feels like we too are at a bit of a standstill. Um, right now, the court systems being locked up the way they are, it's hard to see a lot of momentum. Um, yeah, my, my question was, you brought up earlier in the first segment about um, if, if you're trying to get uh, status here in the United States, um, they're telling you you got a three, you're in the docket on the court systems, it's three years. Yeah. Yeah. So in the, there, it's, you're looking at three years out to even to be able to get in, um, to, to be able to address things. So in this country, we have a right to due process, everybody in this country. And I, I don't care what your country of origin is, the moment you step foot on our soil, you have that right to due process, just like everybody else. And so that's one of the things that's kind of holding things up is, is all of that. But um, so we are, we are fighting. So a couple of the things that we're fighting alongside with, with, with um, the, the bans and the, the family separation is, um, so we're, well, they might ban like, um, like I was talking about earlier, saying you can't come between the ports. That's another lawsuit that we're fighting. So all yeah. these things that I've mentioned that were like, hey, that can't happen, that can't happen. That, that's where I'm like, uh, where do I where do I go? And you're like, how's the lawsuits going? I'm like, which of the 1,200, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, where do we stand? And <laughs> I mean, like here in the state of Utah, we have some lawsuits that we're fighting dealing with immigration, not, to, not so much what's going on at the border, but for immigrant rights. There's people here that, you know, the thing that we always like to talk about or we have over the last couple of years is immigration on the border because it's sexy. I mean, kids are getting tear, torn apart from their family. That's 
that's going to break it on the 24-hour news cycle. That really is. But even in the interior, we have a lot of people, a lot of families that are really suffering. If nothing else, the fear that they're feeling when they're when we we keep hearing on the news, they're like they're about to do a roundup. They're going to do yeah. a roundup. We've yeah. had, uh, you know, families having their homes bust, their doors busted At down. Four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and held at gunpoint. This is. This is happening in Utah. This is happening in your background or in your backyard. I'm sorry. This is happening here. Um, I will. I will give a shout out to DSU, though, for a minute. And the the police here. Dixie State University. Yeah, Dixie State University. I got to say they came through for us on a minute. They they, so we had um, here in Utah, um, those that are regardless of your status, you're able to get a you're able to get a driver's license, which I don't know about, have you ever been hit by somebody that didn't have a driver's license? So that would be horrible because then you're responsible. It falls off on you. So I want everybody out there to have driver's license. I want them to have insurance. It makes it safer for all of us. It means that they're able to get driver education. So Utah allows that. But here in in Southern Utah, people didn't have anywhere to go because you have to go, you have to get your fingerprints taken at a law enforcement agency. And People could go up to Cedar City, which is about 45 minutes away. But if you don't have a car and you have to get to Cedar City 45 minutes away and there was like a three-hour window and you had to make a, you had to make a, an appointment a few days in advance, it was really difficult. And if you couldn't get there, you were going all the way up to Taylorsville, which for those of you that don't know, that's about a five-hour drive to get up there. So Dixie State, when I called around to different law enforcement agencies down here, they stepped up. And wow. uh, that's good Chief, news. Yeah, Chief uh, Blair Barfus, he yes. said... He says, we will do anything to, that we can to support our entire community. That's what we're here for. That's and, great. Yeah, within a couple of weeks, they were set up and ready to do it. Now they've got, they, he, I spoke with him the other day, they've got entire families coming in. He said, just the other day, there was a group of eight or nine coming and getting their fingerprints that done. That is great. Yeah, news. they really That's stepped great. up. So that kind of like proud of all Dixie State University. Yeah, they did they it. came through. <laughs> Fantastic. That's good news. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Sydney McKemo from the ACLU. Uh, just filling us in, we're, we're talking about immigration today and and uh i just dropped a bomb on her and i said so how are all the suits going on and she started laughing she said which one of the 1200 do you want to talk about so uh <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that um as far as um social action is concerned what you know you aclu is always on the forefront of standing up for the rights of of our individuals our citizens as well as our immigrants and those people that are visiting and trying to get visas and just something like getting a driver's license and fingerprinting, mm-hmm. you know, like, thank you, uh, 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 chief uh, of Dixie state university. <laughs> you did great. <laughs> but what can the, our listeners, uh, our viewers, what can they do if they, they say, you know what, uh, this was wonderful information today that you provided. I'm really, I want to get involved. What, what, what can they do? You know, you'd mentioned earlier that you said something about you hear a news story and then and then you hear another one and that other one gets put on the back burner. Yeah. With when faced with the world that has 24-hour news cycles and social media constantly blasting us, I mean, there we have so much access to all this knowledge that it can be really overwhelming. And you might see something like immigration issues and say, "How can I how do I get involved with that?" And the, but I'm busy, you know. We've got we've got jobs, we've got education, we've got kids, we've got lives, and it's just bearing down on us. It's heavy for everybody right now. So the advice that I usually give to people on how to stay in the loop 
is leave it up to somebody else to be in the loop for you and stay plugged in with them. So, for instance, ACLU is a fantastic organization. We've got our hands in so many pots dealing with criminal justice reform and immigration and um, LGBTQ rights and women's rights and just, you know, your civil liberties. Think of it, if it's in the Constitution, if your rights are in there, which they are, then we're going to back it up. So Got it. We keep track of all those things for you. So a great way to stay plugged in is to get involved with an organization that you believe in that's involved in those things. So stay plugged in with ACLU. You could be a member. You could get their newsletter. You can... um, you can follow follow us on on social media. Get that's one of the best ways I I like to stay plugged in. There's a few organizations in my life that you know what I can't I can't be on top of everything, so I kind of I outsource. You know I, I help people I ask people to help keep me updated, and for, when we're talking about this immigration thing, that we constantly have stuff coming on our social media letting you know hey. This is what the administration has just done, and this is what we did to block it. This is what's going on in court, and and this is how this is how that lawsuit turned out. So when talking about our lawsuits, that's a great way to stay plugged in. Our Twitter account is constantly buzzing. Our Instagram, our go to ACLU of Utah, our Facebook page, and our Instagram. If there's all these ways to keep plugged in, and then you'll also have opportunities for volunteering, giving money. Everybody has a different way that they can get involved. You may not have a lot of money. But you might have a few hours that you can give a week um, or a few hours that you can give a year. Even that is a great way to volunteer. Um, or if if you don't have time and you want to become a member, you can become a member. Or if you can do donations. And I'm not talking with just ACLU. I'm talking all these organizations. So Well, I'm uh, Sydney McKemo, you have done a wonderful job here. You've got, you were supplied with so much information concerning the immigration crisis, which was our topic and our issue today. Um, you you made a lot of sense uh, with a lot of information, and I'm, I'm certainly that our listeners and our viewers really appreciate all of your efforts here on today's tips program. I know I've learned a lot. Uh, I got kind of emotional over the children, the, the numbers that you gave that, that just came out as a result of the ACLU's efforts. Uh, don't, don't stop, please. Uh, on behalf of the entire U.S. population, uh, your organization is doing so much help us. And Sydney McKemo, thank you very much for being here on the TIPS program. Thanks and for having me. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, if I hope you agree with me that this was a wonderful uh, program today on immigration. And I, I learned a lot and I hope that you did too. Um, you can get a hold of us at on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Podbean podcast, uh, a number of ways uh, you can get. Uh, we're open. It's, it's live and also it's going to be recorded. So you can take a look at uh, Sydney McKemo's smiling face anytime you want to. It's going to be permanently on. We're going to be on the air at three o'clock on Fridays on KDXI 100.3 or rebroadcasted at 5 p.m on KDXI 100.3. Until next week, everybody, this is Dr. Bob Oxley saying goodbye. You've been listening to Dr. Bob Oxley with tips, topics, issues, and positions. For video and or audio of this, go to Podbean or Spotify, YouTube or Facebook, and search Radio St. George or RadioStGeorge.com. Until next week, this has been Bob Oxley with tips on Radio St. George 100.3 FM.